0: Trap one. Greyhound to trap one. How do you read me over? Welcome to the Trap One podcast. My name is Mark McManus, Today I'm delighted to be joined by Kate Coleman. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, hi Mark, thanks for inviting me on. No problem at all. Uh, so today we're going to be discussing Cavan Scott's 12th Doctor novel, The Shining Man, um, which I, I know I certainly enjoyed. You, you liked it?
1: I did. I liked it very much, actually. It's one of the, the better novels I've read recently.
0: Brilliant. That's great. So um, just kind of housekeeping, first of all, is um, I always like to hear when I've got a new co-host is sort of how you got into Doctor Who, if you can remember the first story that you saw, that kind of thing.
2: Okay, yeah, so
1: I was just thinking back, and the first story I remember seeing on the, the show was like the Androids of Tara, and ah, I remember some scenes from that, so that would be way back in 1978 when I was um, six, Yeah. So, and then <laughs> yeah. I kind of watched all the way through then until um, Survival in 1989, so I had that whole run of my childhood right through um, with Doctor Who, which was marvellous.
0: Yeah, I love Androids of Tara as well, it's one of my favourites, yeah. Uh...
1: Yeah, it's a really good episode. I've got kind of flashes of it. I haven't watched it since. I haven't gone back to it, but I've just got these flashes of um, images in my mind from it. And, of course, Doctor Who back then always used to be um, on just after match of the day. I don't know if you remember that.
2: But there was this kind of
1: family ritual where we'd have have, um, some tea and then match of the day would come on and get the the, um, the scores from the football pools and then watch Doctor Who. So it was always a A Great ritual
0: in our house. Uh, yeah, when I by the time I started watching, it was um, Sylvester McCoy, so it was Wednesday night. I, I never got that um, Saturday night family thing until it came back in two
1: thousand and five. Yeah, well, they put it back in a really good slot in, in a great slot. I think it does much better there for that family audience. Really recaptures what Doctor Who was for me when
0: I when I was young, so I can get that again with my own family, which is fantastic. I think you said you mentioned once that um, that you cosplayed as Ace. Oh, I did.
1: Oh, I was was such a terrible geek back in those days. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I got this bomber jacket from a charity shop from somewhere. And and then I just, I was just trying to recreate this thing. And I probably did it terribly, but I was sewing on by hand. And when I was that age, my sewing wasn't great. But I I put these... patches all over my jacket, and I just kind of wander around casually with it. I wasn't formally cosplaying, because back then I didn't have any connections with conventions or, or anything, Yeah. Um, but I just wandered around in my A-star jacket, and I felt really cool.
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, so you mentioned um, uh, watching with your own family now. Um, you've got kids that are into Doctor Who as well?
2: Yeah, I
1: have. And do you know what I really, really like this time around is compared to the way it was before, when I was um, younger, I was always kind of, uh, picture the scene, I'd get my little friends up to my bedroom, but before they came in, I would always take my posters of my Daleks down, because I knew what kind of response I was going to get from my little girlfriends on this, you know, sort of pointing at the wall and wondering what it was. So I'd kind of take them down and um, sort of be a bit embarrassed about a Doctor Who. And then when it all came back round again, and um, it seemed that things were quite different. And the, the time when I realised things were different, I was in a supermarket and I saw a teenage girl. And she had this um, DVD of must have been perhaps David Tennant's first or second season. And she was hugging it to her chest and just grinning, just grinning and grinning about the fact that she'd got this Doctor Who DVD and she wasn't hiding it away or anything. And for me, that was fantastic. I thought, right, OK, this time around, I don't have to hide the fact that I like Doctor Who because I'm a, a girl. Which is fantastic, and my daughter is um she's having a whole different experience of it. I think because she's um doesn't feel the same way as I did when I was younger um about liking it. So that's um that's great. She made her wardrobe into a TARDIS. She's yeah. Actually, um, painted blue um pictures on it and, and made it into a proper TARDIS.
0: Ah, oh, brilliant. Always a bit fun. Yeah, it is. It is strange the difference, isn't it? I. Um, and I've, I've said this on the podcast before, is I've never quite got over that. Um, so I don't tend to talk to people at work um, about how much I like Doctor Who and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never, from, from like you say, school days, never quite got over that um, uh, stigma, yeah, I suppose, of uh, of liking it. Yeah,
1: no, I, I must admit, I'm fairly quiet about it at work. There's, um, you know, the good person who you'll, I'll share things with, I don't kind of share it that openly, just among my sort of friends. So, um, yeah, there is it's a little, little thing there, isn't there, about talking about Dr. Ho. So it's quite great when you meet people who you can share that passion with. It's um, always a lot of fun.
0: Definitely, yeah. That's yeah. You go to a convention or anything and it's uh, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because just everybody there you can have. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing everyone's got in common. So it's the one thing you talk about and uh, talk about it at kind of nerdy length and detail. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah.
2: That, that's great fun.
1: I haven't done any conventions for years, but I did do a few. I did um, Star Trek conventions more than Doctor Who, funnily enough, when I was in my teens. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's a really nice experience just to be on the same page with other folk and really have a talk with them. But of course, that's what's nice about um, the Internet and social media now, isn't it? That you can connect with people really quickly and easily over a, a topic in a way that you couldn't
2: before.
0: Absolutely. So, for me, wonderful. Yeah, it's um, and um, you've turned your hand to writing Doctor Who yourself as well. And um, we've got um, stories in a couple of um, short story anthologies that are coming out. There's uh, is it Time Shadows Two and Temporal Logbook Two.
1: Yes, I have. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with that. I decided to have another go at writing fiction about eighteen months ago after not writing anything for a really long time. Um, so I came back to it, and I've been really um, delighted to have two stories um, in those publications. So in the, the... I've just got to get this the right way around. So in Time Shadows 2, I've got a story um, featuring Clara and 12, uh, the 12th Doctor, which is kind of my, one of my favourite um, combinations. Yeah. And that's um, a charity anthology, as you've said, for, and they're working to raise funds for Lim Ford, which is, I think, it's a fantastic charity for Doctor Who um, fans to support, because they're, they can... Do you know what they can do? They can um, email and print a, a whole prosthetic limb over a, a 3D printer to anywhere in the world,
2: which that's I think is just isn't amazing, isn't it, that you yeah. could um, be a doctor in the middle of Kenya somewhere and, and get the pattern for a, a prosthetic limb for your patient, so I think
1: that's a wonderful charity to support, yeah, and um, in the temporal Logbook too, which is the one I believe you've got a story in too, is it?
0: Uh, no, it's the other way around, I, um, I'm i t- Time Shadows too as well, yeah, I've got a, a 6 doctor oh, okay. story, um, same sort of thing, like I hadn't really tried to write anything since school, but I, I loved writing short stories and stuff at school, so um, yeah, I was, I was really pleased to have, uh, have one accepted for for Time Shadows 2 as well, which uh, I think comes out any time now That as well, doesn't it? Sorry,
1: say
0: again? Right, I think it's coming out any time as well, Time Shadows 2, it's sort of uh, slated for autumn this year. So think, uh, yeah. yeah, autumn um, this year, and they've got 25 stories in that one, so
1: it will be a nice Wide range
0: of stories. Wh- who- which doctor have you written for? The sixth Doctor, uh, doctor with yeah. Perry.
2: Yeah. Oh, good, fantastic combination.
1: Yeah, yeah that's
0: it's it's a story that uh, really specifically would just work with those two as well. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll go down well. Uh, but I'll uh, I'll put a link in the show notes um, to the Time Shotters Two website and the Temporal Logbook Two web- website. Um, which Doctor have you written for for the Temporal Logbook?
1: So, for the temporal love, I've written for the ninth Doctor and Rose, which was a, a nice pairing to go back to, actually. Um, and I've written a story that's kind of related to um, artificial intelligence in the
0: future, which is quite an exciting topic to, to delve into. Yeah, and it's quite its something that's uh, getting quite a lot of coverage at the moment, isn't it? Um, as to the potential pitfalls and. Uh, uh, and dangers of it. I know Stephen Hawking a little while ago said it was um, potentially one of the biggest threats to humanity, uh, you know, yeah. should should manage to create it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think in my story, I'm, I'm kind of trying to not play up the, the threat level, but kind of the way that actually um, imagine AI could be very similar to us in the future and how we kind of all live together, um, which I guess takes a Doctor Who-ish spin on it really, doesn't it, rather than a, a Blade Runner
0: type spin on on the the, the terrors of ai yeah that's uh, yeah um uh, i suppose there's uh like recently i'm uh, just thinking about i uh, recently watched uh, the avengers age of ultron as well where that's um uh once ultron's been created and it's kind of an ai it's uh, just almost immediately decides <laughs> yeah. to try and kill everybody doesn't it so. yeah well,
1: I, I guess yeah that makes a good story isn't it but when you Think about it. I don't know if there's any natural reason why AI's would automatically try and kill us all. I kind of like to think there wouldn't be,
0: but you know. yeah, yeah, that's it. I suppose it's, uh, it's yeah, it's quite a feature film idea, isn't it? Like Terminators and yeah. uh, uh, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So see, so we're uh, a couple of months um, where we've finished series ten. Now, was there any particular highlights um, from series ten that you enjoyed?
1: Oh, I I joined I enjoyed the whole of season ten, actually. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed season ten. Um and the well, the final two episodes of course were a real highlight, weren't they? We were going with dramatic potential and, and then that ending with us going into a regeneration, which is quite heartrending for people certainly
2: like me, who'll be really really sorry to see Peter Capaldi go.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm the same, kind of excited for um Geordie Whittaker, um, but I'm really sorry that, that Peter Capaldi didn't get a a longer run um, yeah. and, and really, uh, you know, really kind of establish a legacy of a, of a good few series. Um, it'll be I, very sad to see him go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's really been the. I've, I've always like, I've always enjoyed every doctor while they're on, um, and I really genuinely have. But Peter Baldi for me has been um, such a, a great experience watching, firstly, the kind of the transformation of his doctor. Um, from season eight where he's a bit prickly and brusque and then kind of um, warming up with Clara in season um, nine and then this kind of evolution into a, a much kinder character when he talks specifically about kindness, doesn't he? Which I've, I really like as a, as a message, um, just as a sort of message Who should be giving, I think. Um, and I, I've liked that. But I've also liked the way Peter Capaldi is such a fantastic ambassador for the show um, he really embodies it, doesn't he, in the way he um, promotes the show, in a way he um, seems to be at conventions with fans, always kind and considerate,
2: so I think that's just the sort of ambassador that the show needs, really.
0: Absolutely, you never hear anything negative about him, do you, wherever um, uh, you see him, uh, you know, on Twitter, he'll be at a convention, or he's just been approached by somebody in the street, he, um, you see him on these matches as well, like the... Uh, was march at the women's of,
1: march and also at the
2: march for science, wasn't
1: it? Yeah.
0: Well? Um, so really, kind of proactive as well, and, and and putting good messages and and a good example to kids, um, and and obviously just happy to talk to anyone and and have the photos taken. Um, yeah, he just seems like such a, a genuine, decent guy.
1: Absolutely. I read a, a quote quite recently, where he said, he was asked about what it feels like um, to be leaving Doctor Who, and I think he said something along the lines of it. it, feels like I've just woken up for a fantastic dream when I got to be Doctor Who,
0: yeah.
1: which is because he was a fan from a very young age himself,
2: wasn't he? So,
0: yeah, I let, that's really nice as well, when you see those letters to the Radio <laughs> Times that he wrote when he was like eight or something. Yeah, um, yeah wanting
2: to be the president of the Doctor Who fan club or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Really sweet. Yeah, and I think there's an element where you talk to, um, well, not you talk to, but you hear David Tennant and Matt Smith have, have spoken since about regretting the decision to some extent and, and maybe wishing they'd done a little bit more. Um, yeah, I guess it's a hard thing to judge. Um, probably while you're in the middle of it all, I'm
1: sure it is. Uh, I'm sure. It is. I saw David Tennant
0: quoted as saying, "Oh yeah, well, you get used to it, but you never really get over it." Yeah. <laughs> Not
1: being the doctor
0: anymore. You know. Yeah, I suppose unlike a lot of parts that people leave, there are still sort of doors back in with with big finish and um, uh, other kind of audio books as well. You know, um, they they do get the chance still to, uh, to 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 replay the part and and be be part of it. You know, with conventions as well.
1: Absolutely, do. And I'm David Tennant, and um, the Donna Noble character, Catherine Tate, have just um, recorded.
0: Again, together I believe, aren't they? Ah, nice. Um, actually, right. big on big finish. So, yeah. So you, you do they get a the chance to
1: revisit the character, and there's always the chance of multi Doctor episodes, aren't there as well? Where you can actually be the Doctor
2: again. Yeah. And I think with, with conventions, um, you know, you, you're always you
1: will always be the Doctor. I think every character, every actor who's played the Doctor is always still the Doctor. I think when, when you're at conventions and you're in the eyes of many fans. Yeah. It's a wonderful one thing to be part of I think.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, but with big excitement about um Geordie Whittaker, Um so what was the reaction like um for in your household to the, the announcement?
1: Oh it, it was it was great actually. Now, leading up to that I, I must admit I was kind of just going through things in my head and thinking how am I gonna feel if they the cast a women and uh, there was a, a bit of this going I'm not sure I'm not sure how that's gonna play out and I was just kind of thinking around that. And, and I thought, well, okay, we'll just wait and see. And then I was sitting on the sofa with my daughter and one of her, her female friends, her young girlfriends, and they were just so excited leading up to it. They were like, oh, God, yeah, please, let, let it be a woman, let it be a woman. And this excitement was just so infectious. It really was. And it's, it's just to see that um, my, my daughter's friend, she said, I, I'm not really that interested in Dr. Who, but If a woman's playing the part, I'm going to watch it. And I think... Girls and women really need that um, positive representation on the screen, but not just girls and women. I think boys need to see that too, that women are clever and capable and respected and fallible. That Doctor's always,
2: he's never he's never perfect to see. Um, yeah. so, so I'm sure Jodie
1: Whittaker's character won't be perfect. But for boys to see that um, positive representation too, I think it's just as important as girls to have it. So I'm really excited for it going forward.
0: Definitely, it just it just feels so kind of exciting and new as well. It's um, it's going to be a totally different take on it. Um, yeah, that's, that's the bit that
2: could be really interesting, can't it?
1: See where they go with the character.
0: Yeah, because because uh, each one is different, so it be, uh, but but you know carries on some elements from previous ones. So yeah, it's always fascinating to see what any actor does with it. Um, yeah. But uh, no, it's just such a long wait. That's the only uh, <laughs> the only negative, oh, isn't yeah. it?
1: that is the thing it's going to be a long old wait for us isn't it i suppose yeah. like, so we'll get a little sneaky set reports for people who um there's a group of people isn't there who will follow around what the filming and try and get pictures which end up on uh, tumblr or twitter don't they so we'll get some sneaky shots of little bits going on but we'll have to wait for a whole year won't we till we actually get the show back
0: that's it yeah it'll just be I suppose because it's an entirely new um uh, you know, kind of production crew and cast, there will be sort of announcements as we go along as well, we'll see sort of um, companion announcements and writer announcements, directors and things so yeah, it'll yeah. wet the appetite and uh, increase the excitement levels until uh, until the big launch Yeah,
1: absolutely there was a rumour about a companion but I never followed it up to find out if that's been confirmed do you know if, uh, who, if, a, if a companion's been cast yet?
0: Um, I haven't, the only thing I've heard was um, about Bradley Walsh um, that, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, but reading the article, he seemed to confirm that he's in Doctor Who, but uh, not necessarily. I mean, I don't know whether he'd be the companion. It'd be great if he was, but he seems to suggest mm. that he's working Doctor Who filming around filming the chase still. Um, uh-huh. So it wouldn't seem like he could do both because the chase is on every every weekday, isn't it? Um, I,
1: I don't
0: know. I don't know if he does. Uh, right. Yeah, it's a daily quiz show that's on. Um, sort of late afternoon I think um, okay. but it is it is on every weekday so that must take a chunk of his time um, yeah. and, and it takes about nine months to make a series of Doctor Who so I think the thinking yeah. is that if he is in it maybe it's more like a companion's dad or um, maybe kind of a unit type person who's a semi-regular that kind of thing
2: okay well that'd be interesting to
1: find out we, and as you say I'm sure we'll find more as the, the time gets closer
0: yeah, that's it. It's just uh, just going to get more and more exciting, isn't it? So, um, but we've still got Peter Capaldi for now with the um, the Christmas special. Yeah, which I think yeah, I, saw... I
1: know. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, kind of I'm, I'm so mixed up about that. I'm really going to be so sorry to see him go. It's going to be um, quite a big day for me. I think on Christmas
0: Day. Yeah, definitely. I saw a rumour actually this week that the Christmas special might be an hour and forty. Really. Yeah, which
2: wow. um, be
0: eight... great. It is. Yeah, it'd be great. It's substantially longer than any other, isn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be fantastic. It's a kind of feature film length, isn't it?
1: Yeah, uh, well, wow, well, wow, well, that'd be amazing if, it, if we did get that Doctor that Who. That'll then um, go some way to tiding us over until the, the new
2: series won't
0: it? Yeah, absolutely. And we've got the, the novels of which um, Shining Man is the the second chronologically from this run. Uh, so there's Diamond Dogs, The Shining Man, <laughs> Uh, and Plague City yeah Uh, and as they tend to do you've got one set uh, kind of a science fiction setting contemporary earth setting and a um earth's history setting and this one is predominantly set in in contemporary earth isn't it um well it's a book of
1: two halves really isn't it you've got the the, the first part firmly set in contemporary earth and then kind of the last third of the book you're Somewhere else,
0: aren't you? Yeah, that's it. And I, I like that idea as well. It's you see it in, in certain Doctor Who stories, um, The Curse of the Black Pearl, um, and uh, like the Stones of Blood, where there's another world, kind of overlaid on the real world. That's um, not quite readily accessible, but stuff can leak through and uh, uh, and cause you know apparently supernatural things. Um, it's uh, it's a really effective thing. It's been used a few times in the series, and it's uh, it's used to great effect here.
1: I really like that the way they're kind of its just edging on to magic almost, isn't it? This invisible world, which they call the invisible, don't yeah. they? That uh, is, he, he explains it's on a different frequency to our
2: world. So our world would be the visible There's the fairy folk, the bobbits would live
1: in the invisible. Um, and then this idea that there's kind of a scientific explanation, you know, it's on a different frequency. Of course, it's just, just edging up to magic, isn't it? Which is yeah. kind of a, a nice way to look. at.
0: That's it. Yeah, it's um, it's the magic is just a different science to, to ours. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So we start the story. We um, we meet the kind of the the guest cast, uh, which are the Holland family. Yeah. Um. So there's Sammy, who's the mother. Uh, she's got two children, Noah and Maisie. Where Maisie's older than Noah, um, and Sammy's mum is Hillary, who's the children's grandmother. Um, and is looking after them while she's at work.
1: Yeah, it's a nice little snippet of um, family life you've got there. But a, a, a modern family, so Sammy's a single mum, isn't she? And yeah. um, I like the fact that you've
2: got Maisie who likes football, so we've kind of got a, an image of a, um, a girl who
1: enjoys their sport, which is really nice. Um, and of course a no-nonsense grandma there in Hillary, who gets yeah. the doctor by Stern talking to a couple of times, which is kind of Funny to listen
2: to, funny
0: to read. Definitely, yeah. It's, it's a bit like Jackie Tyler, okay. isn't it? Just um, having no truck with him whatsoever. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I, I always
1: think it's quite funny when people call the Doctor out
2: on some of his um, wildest stuff. It's quite amusing, isn't it? Yeah. And there's some, quite, there's some quite funny lines in this book, aren't
0: there?
1: There's some
2: bits um, that really make me giggle at times.
0: Yeah, and every, everyone's got some good lines as well. The Doctor's got some great stuff and Bill... Uh, and the, the guest characters. Um, its Yeah, it's uh, it's very witty and, and and yeah, really kind of uh, zips along, doesn't it?
1: It does. I, um, Kevin Scott's done a great job of characterising um, the Twelfth Doctor in this book. He really comes across, he's got quite a nuanced character, so he's got that frenetic energy that we see on the show, and that kind of arrogant edge, almost, almost. but then he's also quite self-depreciating at times, using that phrase of calling himself an idiot, and he He's not afraid to admit when he's wrong either um, and
0: to kind of catch up with himself when he's kind of going at thousand miles an hour which he does That's so it, um, yeah.
1: it's a nice characterization there
0: definitely yeah it's because uh, it, these were they came out not long um into the broadcast run of series 10 so I guess they must have been written um you know while the series was being made so you don't know how much kind of access the um, the writers had, but they've done they've done a great job of getting the the series ten um, Doctor because he's quite distinct as yeah. we were saying before from the series yeah. eight and nine twelfth Doctor.
1: He is, and they've done a good job on Bill, considering as you say how early on this book was written. Um, they couldn't have seen a lot, a lot of Bill, but he's um, done a nice vignette of Bill and how she is. It's captured um, some of her, her quirks and her, her kindness as well, and she's good with the kids. Yeah, uh, I, I always like um, I always like it in Doctor Who when he interacts with kids, and in this book he's got that kind of slightly brush edge to him in the beginning, but he warms up and he's really, it's really good with Maisie and you Noah, know, isn't he towards the end, so that's really
0: yeah. nice to see. Yeah, the um, some of those scenes are, are excellent, aren't they? Uh, the um, so the the kind of the, we're introduced to the threat with um. Noah's been uh, in trouble at school, hasn't he? Because he sneaked out of school to try and see yeah. a, a shining man, which is this, yeah. um, we don't know how to begin whether it's an urban myth or a, a prank, where these kind of tall, spindly, creepy figures have, have been appearing with um, shining eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the and, and kids are kind of fascinated and a bit creeped out by them. So they sneaked out to school because one of his friends says he knows where he's seen one of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and they see he, he does see one and he's scared um, they, I think it probably an inspiration for this is maybe the kind of crazy clown um, fad that was around last year running up to Halloween uh,
1: I think so this then um, scary clown um, phenomenon. Well I, I looked it up actually and I, I saw a YouTube video going back to 2014 um, with this so but I think uh. the first one we heard in the UK was last summer. I think it'd been going on in America for a while. Uh, Kevin Scott kind of honed in nicely on that, hasn't he? And um drawing on that, that fear and kind of the, the, I mean the very real problem you've got with those folk who dress up to scare people is you know you know, you actually don't know if you're gonna scare the wrong person and, and really harm them a heart attack. Yeah. Or you're actually gonna scare the wrong person who's gonna clobber you back and you're gonna get injured. Yeah. But you know, aside from those very real Um, difficulties with that. You've then got this whole actual layer of what if it really were a scary plan? What if there really was some some lurking threat underneath there from an invisible world? So it kind of plays nicely off that pop culture, doesn't it? And you take that
0: up a level. Yeah, Yeah. what if it was like it? That's the... uh... I was just
1: on, wondering, actually, yeah. this is what we're going to get now. Are we Are going to get a resurgence of even scarier clowns um, after the,
2: the film, you know, the It film?
0: That's it, yeah, because we're running up to Halloween again. Because I thought last year when this, this um, fad was around, it, it seemed to stop at Halloween, didn't it? It was kind of building up and building up and it was in the papers and it was on the news. And then Halloween came and went and it just seemed to um, yeah completely stop at that point.
2: Yeah, I think there was some pushback
1: on it because people did get injured, not seriously, but I did read about somebody getting hit, Um, I I think a perpetrator of this hoax actually getting hit with a
0: metal bar because it frightened some people so much. I think maybe there was a pushback and people perhaps stopped doing it. Yeah, near where I live, um, uh, the town of Whitehaven, uh, which is where my wife's from, they actually had a guy uh, dressing up as Batman. Um, Uh to um, protect children so he would be sort of out and about dressed as Batman Um, the idea if there was any crazy clowns he would scare them away and chase after them and I think that got a bit of coverage in the news as well Um, I'll try and find that story and put a link in the show notes um, to that one because yeah it was quite funny Um, That's
1: that's quite quite sweet and nice isn't it but not without its problems actually (laughs) Vigilantism Yeah
0: yeah, it's like um, yeah, escalation, isn't it? Like at the the end of Batman Begins, when uh, the uh, <laughs> Commissioner Gordon says, "Aren't you worried about escalation? If you go around dressed as a bat with all these gadgets, that the the villains are going to come back with something bigger." Um, yeah. But yeah, and they touch on that um, in this book as well because there's the the sort of the shining man phenomenon that there are people dressing up like that, um, mm-hmm. and that there's um there's a shop, isn't it? Which is it Betterworths or something like that? It's basically like Warworths. <laughs> Are selling costumes with torches in the eyes, Uh, and they say there's a guy who's been put in hospital because he scared somebody's kid, and um, his dad went after him. Uh, So it is uh, a lot of parallels with the like the scary clown thing, like you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, these are really scary. Um, You know,
1: there's a a real monster here with um, in this Doctor Who book, isn't there? Because um, Actually, there's, there's
0: something leaking through from the other world, from the invisible, isn't there? Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah the, the the shining man, which uh, turns out to be a, a boggart, which is a type of fairy, isn't it? Yes. Um, as we find out later. And the the kind of plot really kicks off when one of those kidnaps Sammy, um, Noah and Maisie's mum, because she's kind of fuming <laughs> that uh, that her son's been scared by one of them. She sees one outside the house in the street Goes out to remonstrate with him um, and then vanishes. Which, yeah,
1: uh, that's harrowing, isn't it? For the, the children to have their mother just vanish like
0: that. Yeah, and it's quite because there's a lot of talk about fairy tales in it as well, obviously, with it being um, about fairies. But the um, there's a book of fairy tales which Sammy reads to her kids, um, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of kind of allusions to fairy tales. Like one of the chapters is called Into the Woods and things.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> And it's, it's quite a staple of fairy tales, isn't it? About um, you know, kind of loss of parents, and even to, you know, run through to Harry Potter and things like that. There's uh, so there's a big theme in a lot of uh, literature and novels, isn't it? The, the missing person, the person who's not there, um, plays an important role. <clears throat> plays an important role in the story somehow. Yeah, um, and this uh, one of the things definitely, I think, it, if I had read this as a kid, it would have been quite scary. Was Yeah, like the parent going outside and being taken away. Um, And then once she's missing and and the grandma's looking after the kids, uh, there's a ghostly appearance of the mum in Noah's bedroom uh, a couple of Mm. nights later, isn't there? Uh, Where she's begging for help and then gets dragged away by the Shining Man. Um, And of course,
1: nobody believes poor Noah when he's, um, well, nobody except the doctor later. Yeah. Uh, They don't believe him when he says what's
2: happened
0: yeah it's um but that that kind of thing as, as a kid you know like uh, your bedroom can be a scary place can it in the, in the dark in the night um yeah. anything like that would have it would have scared me as a kid I think one of the earliest things I can remember being scared by um when I'd have been really young uh, was the BFG um reading that and then it's, I think it's like the first chapter isn't it where he looks out his bedroom window and sees the BFG in the street and it sees him, and it comes over and opens his bedroom window and sort of plucks him out. The um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what the little boys called in the BFG. Um, and I read that and put it down, absolutely terrified, and had nightmares about it. Um, yeah. So it is that. Uh, I suppose that thing of the bedroom being a safe space, but then it, you know, um, it
2: uh, yeah, there's
0: out. <laughs> Yeah, monsters and Doctor Who in in. Um, it's like fear her and um, night terrors, they they touch on that kind of thing, don't they? Like monsters in the in the wardrobe and, and that type of thing.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But your imagination just goes wild in the dark, doesn't it? Yeah. Your, your eyes see things slightly differently, don't they, in the dark? That, that jumper that's hanging on the back of a chair looks like something else, and you
0: know, yeah. it's really spooky. That's uh, it. as suppose once you're an adult, you, you see, um, it's more kind of worries... Uh, about work and things like that become magnified if you if it's the middle of the night and and you just lying there. But uh, yeah, what you say when you're a kid, especially your imagination goes crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the um, the um, no sister Maisie comes into the bedroom because he's he's kind of screamed after this happened yeah. and she believes him because they find a leaf, don't they? Um, mm-hmm. Where Sammy had been and a muddy footprint, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is an oak leaf. Um, because mm-hmm. someone's been asking for help, they decide to go off into the woods in the middle of the night to look for her. Um,
1: yeah, don't find at home, kids.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and again, um, uh, a really, really kind of creepy, uh, a creepy thing. It's, it's again, it's a staple of uh, fairy tales and things like that, isn't it? It's uh, and, and that kind of fiction of going into the woods, uh, yeah. kind of heroes going on that perilous journey, um, and it, it is a, uh, it's a really scary scene as well.
2: Yeah, it is. It's very creepy. Um, yeah, and of course.
1: Uh, they meet Doctor, the Doctor and Bill in there, who have been they've been drawn there, haven't they, by some uh, mysterious force that has created havoc in the TARDIS. There's quite a nice scene where the Doctor's wrestling with his this pot plant, isn't he, trying to keep hold of that and trying to protect the guitar from this amazing hailstorm that's coming down inside of the TARDIS, which um, I guess was connected to Sammy and to the the shining man. Um, actually drawing them into Boggart Wood wasn't it? So they yeah. then all meet up don't they? And Sammy and sorry not Sammy. So they all meet up. Noah and Maisie, the Doctor and Bill meet in the deep dark woods don't they?
0: That's it and there's a, a new character who comes at this point called Charlotte um, who is a vlogger uh, so she's, uh-huh. she's uh-huh. out filming oh. for uh, her website which is about um, she's a, a cryptozoologist so she investigates sort of Paranormal and uh, uh, kind of creepy activity like that. So she's looking for the shining men as well. When she witnesses the yeah. arrival of the TARDIS, yeah. yeah so I've got
1: my, can you imagine every um, blog and stream to actually witness this kind of stuff and like, meet the TARDIS appearance? And yeah. i I, I had to go and look up what a blogger was. I'm showing my age here. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> a, blog, a blogger? What's a blogger? Ask my kids. Okay, I'll, I understand. No, it's a.
0: The video logger, is that what it's short for? I don't know. I think, yeah, see him. so, yeah. Um, that, yeah, because she she uploads the videos with, with commentary, doesn't she, about um, uh, about the things that she's seen. Uh, and yeah. this the, the setting for this, it's a fictional suburb of Manchester called Hook and Soul, isn't it? Um, and she describes it as ground zero for The Shining Men. It's where all the first sightings came in uh, uh-huh. and has had the biggest concentration. Um, yeah. And that was interesting as well because the she wants to put um, the doctor on her website, um, yeah. uh, but obviously the do- to the doctor he doesn't want to be kind of revealed to the world as uh, you know appearing in the TARDIS and, and having all this knowledge and stuff. So um, he uh, he tries to delete the footage from her phone with his sonic screwdriver, doesn't he? It
2: does, yeah. Uh,
0: which reminded me of a ninth doctor thing because uh, is it Mickey? Um, says that he's looked up the Doctor um, mm-hmm. in, I think it's Aliens of London, so he knows about Unit and the Doctor, um, and mm-hmm. he gets Mickey to upload something, which is going to erase all the mentions of him. Uh, so it seems yeah. to echo that a little bit for me, mm-hmm. that um, he, uh, he he doesn't want that kind of exposure. Um,
2: doesn't the 11th Doctor do
1: something similar, um, to delete all references to him through the, the galaxy
2: as well? I seem to remember.
0: Yeah, he does, doesn't he? And he and, um, one one of the in, in Asylum of the Daleks, one of the the, the fragment of Clara that's in the Dalek um, mm-hmm. erases him from the Dalek histories yes. as well. Um, so it's that that uh, thing of it of trying to keep a low profile, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's a great
2: episode, wasn't it?
1: The Asylum of the Daleks with yeah, uh, our first
2: glimpse at Clara, Clara character.
0: Yeah, I love that one. That's um, I, when that one. That was when I started blogging about Doctor Who, actually. Blogging rather than Um, Uh vlogging, Just because I loved that episode so much and uh, just kind of had a few things to say about it. So, yeah, I started a blog at that point. It's uh, it's excellent. Um, So once all the... This is the first time all the main characters have got together. um, They're then attacked by the Shining Men. They're completely surrounded by them. Um, And Charlotte... Um, is overcome by fear, isn't she? Just this paralyzing fear overcomes her and she collapses. Uh, In terror. Yeah, uh, but then Hillary, the sort of stern grandmother, turns up, um, and they all disappear. They all, all the shiny men, just take off, don't they? At that point.
1: Yeah, I would take off too if the stern grandmother like Hillary came to sort
0: me out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I thought was uh, it was a nice touch because she's very grounded isn't she and um kind of common sense and she turns up and she's just like what are you doing with my grandchildren yeah yeah uh, so the and doc- I, I think
1: that, that's quite symbolic isn't it i've got this scary stuff going on with the, with the children and the mother disappearing and then these strange people in the wood but there's something to anchor them to the real world there's grandmother who is practical and she's very real and she's going to take them home and i think that's important Important that kind of message that there's still some
2: anchor, some safety here for the kids who are, who are watching and reading these these um, books and programs.
0: Yeah.
1: And then of course they all go back to the house, don't they, and have this wonderful scene where the Twelfth Doctor is on his hands and knees, he's sniffing or even licking the carpet in Noah's bedroom. Yeah. can detect hand dimensional energy. I think that's that's just wonderful. I really picture Peter Capaldi
2: doing that, playing at that scene, It was funny.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, he's, he's he's great, and that sort of um, it's the uh, the incongruity as well of the Doctor in a really domestic setting like that that you, you see in, in stories occasionally. Um, yeah. Really good because the the footprint that Sammy had left behind and the leaf have disappeared, um, which uh, you know kind of adds further doubt to Noah's story. But like you say, the Doctor does believe him. Um, and he starts to kind of piece together what's happened. So the Dr. Bill and Charlotte then go back to Charlotte's van, which she's called Velma, which I guess is like um, a Scooby-Doo kind of reference, because she's... Yes, it must
2: be a, yeah, it must be a B.W. Beetle, isn't
0: it? Yeah, because she's sort of trying to solve mysteries and, and working out of a van, so I thought it's got to be a Velma from uh, from Scooby-Doo, you know, a, a yeah, Scooby-Doo type yeah. of reference, yeah. Um, and while they're there, they get... Um, on the internet and see uh, a CCTV feed from a shop nearby
2: mm-hmm.
0: where there's a shining man outside it. Uh, so they all head down there um, and then split up in um, yeah, kind of horror movie or Scooby-Doo fashion, don't they? <laughs> they
2: do, yeah. And you're always thinking, they like, no,
1: don't split
0: up. Yeah. But they always do, don't they? In every film, every episode you watch. But that's, I think that's part of the fun, actually, when you're splitting the characters up.
1: I think that's a really good dramatic um, thing to do because you're getting a
2: little bit of development and a bit of
0: tension. So that's really worked well for plots, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, but Bill is attacked by a Shining Man at that point, um, or what is apparently a Shining Man. But this is just a guy in a costume, isn't it, who's, um, who's just out to scare people. Um, but he gets a pretty nasty uh, kind of comeuppance from Bill. Uh, For doing so. Um, And then the police arrive, and we're introduced to another, the other kind of major character in the book, which is PC Schofield.
2: Yeah, she's a great character, isn't she?
0: Yeah, very good. Um, And I think what's. um, You don't often get the police in Doctor Who like that. Um, So it was a nice way of doing it because. Yeah, the doctor is often, when he's on Contemporary Earth, he's investigating strange things where you think the police would be involved. Um, so yeah, it was nice to actually have them there, and there uh, to begin with, investigating alongside him. And he's a bit of a nuisance before they kind of join forces. Um, well, what you often get with um, police characters, they're a bit bumbling or a bit ineffective or a bit, um, you know,
2: they're a, bit, a bit of a caricature of the police. But not with this. I mean, you've got uh, Jane um, Schofield. Yeah. She's
1: actually a very a deep character, isn't she? She gets some really good moments, and she's a got a nuanced character. As you say, you don't often see um, on the show a, a police officer with that kind of debt to her character.
2: No, definitely. Um, was, uh, so I was thinking about I, I,
1: what, I those, um, what I liked in one of those scenes was also when the doctor and Bill did finally come back together, and he said, "I'm, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have split up." And you know, I'm, I'm, I've been on my own for a while. I've not, um, you know, I haven't had much practice at this recently. And that was kind of a nice little window into this kind of loneliness and. Perhaps missing Clara but not knowing why, of course, because his memory's been wiped. Yeah. Um, and kind of learning as he goes along about how to
2: negotiate human relationships, isn't he?
0: That's it, yeah, because it's um it's not something that's mentioned that often, is it? But after the time war he hasn't had the companion for quite a while. So when, when the ninth doctor meets Rose, it's all kind of new. Um, yeah. and then when the twelfth doctor first comes in, he's just been on, on Trenzalor for like two thousand years. Yeah. Um, years, years. Is it it's a long time, isn't it? Um, a long time, yeah. That he hasn't had a companion and been traveling around. And then for the 12th Doctor in Series 10, he's, he's been um, at Bristol University for 50 years, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah he has, has had these, these yeah. long gaps out, out of his usual um, kind of lifestyle. Um, which it would take anyone a little while to get back into the groove of uh, uh, of, of that kind of relationship.
1: I think that absolutely ex- explains quite a lot of his character in season eight, doesn't it, where he was much more prickly, um,
2: yeah.
1: because he had just come, as you say, from that long gap, that long period where he was on Trenzalore, where he was watching people grow up and die and leave him over and over, wasn't he? There, the people who lived on Trenzalore with him, so yeah. it must have been terribly lonely for him, and you can imagine them being thrust back into a whole new set of regeneration. When he'd expected to die, he'd expect that this was the last of his life. I've probably done whatever psychological processes one has to do to, you know, approaching the end of one's life. Then suddenly you're back to the beginning of it again. It's, it must be a real wrench. So looking back I'm not surprised he was kind of in that odd psychological state at the beginning of season season
0: eight. Yeah, and he had the am I a good man kind of theme running through that as well, sort of rediscovering who he was, wasn't he? He was, yeah. yeah. I
1: think in terms of character growth, I think the Twelfth Doctor's probably had the, one of the clearest growths in character and changes over the seasons that I can remember, actually. And um, there's a bit of character change in the previous Doctors, but not really such a, a, um, an obvious art as we've seen between
0: eight, nine, and ten. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think um, it's what Colin Baker had intended to do with the part um, was to start off quite kind of prickly and crotchety and then gradually become more avuncular. But unfortunately, yeah, was had a was cut short. No. I um, suppose the, 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 um, the first Doctor had a similar sort of thing. Um, But I don't know if that was particularly deliberate when they set out or whether it was just, um, uh, you know, the character developed as the series went on and the Doctor was more obviously the hero um, than, than, you know, the human companions. Um, And the only really big, other big difference was the fourth Doctor in his final series um, when the production team changed under John Nathan Turner. um, And he's a lot more sombre, isn't he, when... uh, uh, from in, in that final series, is eighteen, yeah. nineteen, is it? I'm bad with the bad <laughs> with the numbers. My
2: memory's a bit, my memory's a bit hazy of, of um, that character up, so there may well have been much more development. Tom Baker stopped for a long time, wasn't
0: he? Seven years, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it'd be great to to get a modern doctor. I think who, um, who who did it for that long and and you know kind of really evolved it. Over over a number of years like that.
2: Oh
1: yeah! Can we hope for Jodie Whittaker maybe to have a really good long run? That would be yeah. marvellous.
0: Fingers crossed! Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Um, did you watch um, her in the the recent sort of mini series? Trust me.
1: No, I haven't seen ones. her in anything else
2: at all.
0: Right, it was uh, just something I had recorded when it was on and, and watched fairly recently, which is very good, isn't it? Um, she's uh, she's a good kind of leading actor. Uh, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of, uh, you know, keeps the attention when she's on screen. She she draws your attention all the time. So.
2: She seems to really be very
1: talented and have the of depth
0: that you need for this role. Yeah. But also, I've seen a few pictures on Tumblr of her with fans, and she looks as if she's really good with fans. And she's said some really nice things as well. So I've got great hopes that she'll be as much a great ambassador for the role and the show as Peter Capaldi has been. Yeah, definitely. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, so to get back to we were um were oh yeah so they um, the police turned up and arrested the fake shining man yeah
2: um
0: um and the doctor tells him he's from unit so that's how he kind of um uh, kind of escapes having to answer too many questions or get into trouble and then, I always
1: had that,
2: that, that
0: excuse yeah that's uh, yeah when he's um definitely when he's on earth he can, uh, he, can he can pull that one out and then we we go to um, uh, a house that's being built. There's a builder called Rob Hawker, who is um, building or heavily renovating a house for a guy called Harold Marta. Yeah. Who? No, uh, listen, Marta. Yeah. <laughs> he's um, but he's a bit of a pain. He's, ch- he's trying to kind of basically micromanage the whole build. Change his wife's changing his mind halfway through, and uh, and but he's still kind of really demanding about the deadlines, isn't he? He's not a very sympathetic character. No.
2: Um,
0: and then he goes into the living room um, of the house and vanishes. Which um,
2: That's
0: it, yeah. Yeah, the builders are quite relieved by because their bacon sandwiches are just <laughs> about to arrive, so they don't really question yeah, yeah. it too much, do they? No,
1: no, they're not. They're quite relieved that he's not going to yeah. them anymore. But yeah. of course then... The implication is that where's where's Harold Martyr gone? Well, we can only imagine that he's been dragged off somewhere, and perhaps that place is the invisible that we're now um, starting to learn more and more about. Because the Doctor and Twelve have gone on this, uh, and the Doctor and Bill have gone on
2: this um, fact-finding mission, haven't they, to discover more about what's been going on, and they break into a library, don't they? to yeah. find
1: out as much as they can about the, the local area.
0: Yeah, and they find that it's, um, a lot of the place names are, because um, there's, um, is it Bogglewood and Bugs Road, uh, and they're all kind of different names for different types of fairies. Um, so yeah. there's, um, there's the fairies and the boggarts and the, and the different kind of creatures that, uh, that live, say, in the invisible, mm. um, which I thought one of the interesting things was that he finds a book by Amelia Rumford. Yeah. Um, who is a character from The Stones of Blood? Oh, I didn't
2: um,
0: get
2: that connection. I didn't
0: notice that. Yeah, she's the um, she's the old lady that uh, that helps them um, in in that episode, uh, and that's what kind of made me think it's um, it's probably a deliberate reference because of that idea okay. in The Stones of Blood, hyperspace being this this other realm where there's a spaceship that's that's hovering above this um, stone circle. Um, but in in hyperspace, in a slightly different realm. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, yeah, it made me think that's that's a little clue as to where we're heading with the invisible being this this other world sort of mapped onto ours, uh, as you say, on a different frequency. That's um, a good
1: little connection there. I like it when those sorts of things from the you know the past eras of the show turn up. That's really
0: fascinating. Yeah, and, and especially when they sort of point to something quite, they make you think of something else. Um, it's like in the time of the Doctor when uh, the Doctor pulls the the seal of Rassilon out of his pocket, mm-hmm. um, and it makes you think of that scene in the Five Doctors when um, the the Master is uh, is offered the new regeneration cycle. Um, yeah. So that's kind of in your mind, and then the Doctor gets a new regeneration cycle uh, at the end of that episode uh, from the Time Lords. Uh, so it's nice, nice little references like that that uh, that just. Just point you in the direction of where they're heading. Um, and, it's, and it shows there's a kind of level of, I don't know if Kevin Scott is a, a fan particularly, but it, it just kind of shows his depth of knowledge, doesn't it, um, about the show and its history, which is nice. Yeah. Um, As I mentioned about Kevin Scott, he's very prolific, isn't he? He's, um, he writes the Titan Comics um, ninth Doctor stories is right. ongoing. Yeah. Uh, he writes for Big Finish. Uh, BBC uh-huh. audio books, um, and he's co written some reference books like Whoology and The Quotable Doctor Who. Yeah, and there's a book called Dalek that's coming out okay. soon, which he's co written as well. Um, okay, so he'll have
2: a, an
1: encyclopedic knowledge of the, the backstory to the show, then which is just yeah. the draw he's them
2: um, writing.
0: Absolutely, and he writes for Star Wars as well, and he's got Sherlock Holmes novels, so he's um, yeah, he's a pretty busy guy, it seems like, anyway. <laughs>
1: He snuck in quite a few pop culture references. Actually, I I I caught a um, name checks Sherlock Holmes in the book. There was a few of those that slipped in that were really entertaining. As at one point, the Twelfth Doctor says to Bill, "Don't go all Scully on me," meaning of course Dana Scully from the X-Files. Don't be sceptical when I'm trying to explain this to you. That that was quite nice. And we had um, a name check of the Beano
2: as well, and a couple of other things, which was quite nice, isn't
0: it? Yeah um the uh, and as you say bill's been quite skeptical about the idea of fairies um mm-hmm. so the doctors the doctors quite knowledgeable uh, and talks about them and he talks about how fairies got razor sharp claws and um about them stuffing rose petals down their victims throats yeah
2: um
0: which rang a bell um because it's from a torchwood episode uh this is a <laughs> the fifth episode of the first series is called Small Worlds um, by PJ Hammond
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and in that one the the monsters are fairies but they not, are I, uh, I, I think
1: that the difference there was that the fairies do take, at the end of that talk, talk episode, the, the fairies do take um, the little girl they take her away from her family in the end but we end up seeing in a picture that she seems to be
2: Happy, Um, and as the fairy's chosen one, isn't she? And she's seen. We've seen
1: the implication is that she's lived a good life. Where, of course, the um, fairies, when they take folk from our world in this story, their intentions
2: are nowhere near as benign, are they?
0: No, that's uh, um, there's there's a few sort of references that talk to an episode. Um, I know it's because the. In that one, they, um, there's the the idea that the fairies can control the elements, so they can sort of spring. They, when they attack, they spring up storms, which mm-hmm. is like what happens in the TARDIS at the beginning, um, yes. and a little bit later on from from where we're talking about, there's a, an empty swimming pool outside Harold Martyr's house where another storm is whipped up. Um, so you get that element of it, um, and. The um, the what, what Captain Jack in Torchwood calls the lost lands. The doctor, I think, refers to the lost lands and the invisible, uh, as being this other world. So, yeah, the, the main element I think they don't mention from Torchwood is that all the fairies were originally children who were, were sort of taken by the fairies and, and turned into fairies. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess is maybe just a little. It's it's quite tortured, isn't it? Thing. It's quite a torturous thing to have bad things happen to children. Like thinking about the um, the third series, Children of Earth. But maybe yes. for a Doctor Who novel, um, either Kavan Scott didn't go with that element, or was maybe encouraged not to. Because uh, yeah, children being taken and turned into monsters is uh, is maybe a bit too far.
1: Yeah, no, I, and I think that kind of worked in Torchwood because because they could have that little ending where it showed that actually that, that little girl was happy or she appeared to be happy. Whereas, of course, in this book, the, the plot was leading in a different direction, wasn't
2: it?
0: Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, because the, the Doctor's got another name for the, um, the fairies as well, which are the ultra-terrestrials.
2: Yes, that was great, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I thought it was a, it, it's a nice name, isn't it? And um, he talks about how they've always been around. The other interesting thing I thought here was, he says um, he should ask uh, Madame Vastra if the fairies were around um, in the sort of prehistoric times when she was from. Uh-huh. The reason I thought that was interesting is because later on in the book, when the doctor ends up in the invisible, he talks about having been there before. Um, and when he's asked how he escaped, he said, oh, I had some help. And at the moment, there's a, a storyline called The Lost Dimension, which is coming out um, from Titan Comics. And it's a multi doctor story where the ninth doctor meets Madame Vastra. Uh, and she says, Oh, don't you remember when? I think she says something like, Don't you remember our sojourn to the invisible? Like, um, they're talking about fairies. And he says, Oh, fairies are real, Doctor. Don't, don't forget we went to the invisible together. Uh, so it seems like the that because Kevin Scott is also co writing The Lost Dimension. I don't know if I mentioned that before. Yeah. It seems like the reference that the Doctor makes in this book to being an Invisible Before is an unseen adventure that he had as the Ninth Doctor or earlier, I guess, with Madame Vastra. Oh, that's a
1: really nice crossover, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and I thought it was nice how it all, uh, yeah, it all, all sort of ties up like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, and, and Kevin Scott writing across different uh, different media like that as well allows him to, I guess, uh, kind of cross-pollinate things. Yeah, that all
1: well makes it more interesting,
0: doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Really good stuff. Um, and the other thing you mentioned while they're doing the research in the library is the story about the Rossendale Fairies, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, from 2014. And a guy called John Hyatt was um, photographing... Uh, Lancashire just kind of scenery and landscape uh, and when he zoomed in and, and enlarged his photos he saw these little fairy-like figures so they look like kind of uh, humanoid shapes with, with wings.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't know if you remember this from the time I kind of vaguely remember it.
1: No, I don't remember that no.
0: Um, but the, the story he makes reference to and, and the date is actually um, a real story in the Manchester Evening News because he, he says, oh, there's a story in the Manchester Evening News and the date, um, and that is in the paper because um, I sort of found it online uh, yesterday, uh-huh. which is a nice sort of level for for children especially of uh, of adding a little bit of real life into it because um, should, should anybody look for that story on the Manchester Evening News website, it is there. Yeah, um, that's
1: actually nice,
2: nice depth to
0: it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, kind of... Um, yeah, just uh, just a nice little uh, element where for kids, you know, oh well, this this could be real, because uh, I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. The the little figures, they're like these glowing little, um, yeah, glowing little figures with wings. You can see how somebody would would um, would think that they were fairies. I think the explanation is that they're actually midges. They're just lights shining on midges. Um, oh, so, uh, spots. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's um, that's what some uh, insect experts have said, anyway. So I guess you can draw your own conclusions Uh, (laughs) um, if uh, if if you do believe in fairies. Uh, But I'll link to that in the show notes as well because uh, that's an interesting little story, Uh, and it's a really recent one as well. It's not like the sort of the Victorian fairies at the bottom of the garden pictures, Um, you know, kind of Uh, grainy black and white ones. This is, you know, just just from a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Fascinating, isn't it? yeah. Uh, so, so in our story, poor Charlotte, she gets she's snatched into the invisible, doesn't she? She's in her van trying to upload some of her um, uh, footage, and then she gets literally taken away, doesn't she?
0: That's it, yeah, just when she's sort of teasing the footage of the doctor as well, uh, and the doctor's getting pretty worried that he's going to be all over the internet, uh, her van's yeah. attacked, uh, and the van and everything is, uh, is transported away. Um, to the invisible uh, so we don't meet Charlotte again for a while
1: and this is where the book really ramps up the threat level starts to ramp up doesn't it? even more because we've got Sammy who's still missing we've got Charlotte and her van being taken away as the invisible yeah. and then of course we have the we discover something of what's happened to Harold Marta, don't we
0: yeah he, he reappears uh, as mysteriously as he disappears um, back in the house that he's having built but aged to about ninety, um, uh, so the builders find him, and um, I, I guess phone the police and the ambulance. So PC Schofield comes back in at this point. Uh, and the
1: doctor gets a really nice line there, doesn't he? he? He says he can sniff it; he can sniff almost the, the smell of a, to- a life being wasted. I yeah. that was a, a great line.
0: There. Yeah, that he's got—he's got that relationship to time and, and can sense things that, that humans can't. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a grim end for for Harold, isn't it? He's uh, it is. he's now ninety years old, um, kind of on, on death's door, and he talks about he says, "Where do all the, where have all the colours gone?" Mm. Um, so we don't really know what's happened to him, and the doctor's trying to sort of force PC Schofield to accept that because uh, she's met him before that it is the same man. He's got he's got Martha's wallet in his pocket and everything else. Um, which um, Noah and Maisie appear at that point and overhear this, don't they? And then, so they're worried that the same thing's gonna happen to their mum. yeah, that she's gonna she's gonna come back kind of age to uh, uh, you know to extreme age like that.
1: That would be terrible, would not it?
0: Yeah, uh, so it's about this, and they realise that the that the leaf wasn't from an oak tree that that was left in Noah's room when Sammy appeared, but was from a rowan tree. which they know from research was something that could repel fairies.
1: And that tree is quite significant, isn't it, actually, in in the plot?
0: Yeah, Um, because Hilary had pointed out earlier on that um, there was a tree in the house that used to stand where the new house is being built that Sammy would climb as a little girl, and that was a Rowan tree. Yes. But it's been cut down to build a swimming pool for Harold, so that's where the doctor heads now to uh, to investigate.
1: Yeah, and then you get this wonderful scene. This is um, um one of my favourites in the book. It's one possible scene in the swimming pool. It's an empty swimming pool, but the characters end up, so the Doctor and P.C. Schofield and one of her colleagues and one of the builders end up in the bottom of this swimming pool, and this amazing storm whips up, doesn't it? Yeah. And the Doctor desperately tries to hold on to Schofield before she's um, whipped away. But, of course it all ends in disaster, doesn't it with the the um the, the ladder they're holding on to being ripped up and then the doctor and uh,
0: Schofield disappearing into the into the invisible yeah um and then this um I think for me one of the most unrealistic elements of the story um that somebody in the north of England will be building an outdoor swimming pool and <laughs> it's uh <laughs>
1: Do you know, I, that never occurred to me. Oh,
0: honestly, it really <laughs> I think yeah, at best, it shows reckless optimism, doesn't it? That
1: fairies uh... I mean, we can accept, time travel we can accept, but yeah. no, just building a field up there that would be crazy.
0: <laughs> um, so, um, what I've got, I've got a reading at this point um, from this part of the story where the Doctor and PC Schofield have been um, uh, zapped away in the swimming pool. Uh, so regular listeners to the podcast will recognise the dulcet tones of Keith, who's been my co-host uh, a few times. Uh, so we'll go into that reading now.
3: It was like being hit in the face with a baseball bat. A baseball bat made a pure light. Her eyes burned, they were roasting in her own sockets. She clawed at them, screaming in agony. No, she wasn't dead, but she definitely lost the plot. Five minutes ago, she'd been on the building site in her Yes, it was a building site with its own extreme weather system, but it was largely part of the world she understood. Now, she was somewhere that made no sense whatsoever. There was grass beneath her head, the brightest, greenest grass she'd ever seen. She was in a forest, but the kind of forest that couldn't possibly exist outside of a picture book. The trees were tall, skyscraper tall, stretching upwards, a sky that was filled with too many stars. No, that wasn't it. She couldn't see the sky through the thick canopy of leaves. It was the leaves themselves. They were glittering like stars. She rolled over onto her back. The bark and the tree trunks were deep, dark red. Too deep. Too dark. Each knot in the wood was like a whirlpool, spiralling yet still at the same time. Fungus crawled over the trees, literally crawled, moving across the ridiculously red bark like giant ridged caterpillars. And the flowers, they clustered around the roots of the trees, every color of the rainbow, and a few she had never seen before. Vivid, stunning colors that made her eyes ache, but it was nothing compared to the smell. She could never understand why people insisted on sniffing flowers. They'd always made her sneeze, full of sweet saccharine perfume. Here, it was worse. It stuck to the back of her throat, thick and clawing. She was going to be sick. She turned over, trying to push herself up onto her knees. Her head went into a spin, the sounds of the forest coming from all angles. She could hear everything at once, bugs crawling at the pungent earth beneath her fingers, birds flying through the air, each beat of their wings like thunder, a heart beating like a drum. No. Not one heart. Two. Beating together. Here, came a commanding voice. Put these on. Something slipped over her eyes. Plastic, cool against her skin. She opened her eyes again, but this time they didn't burn. The sounds of the voice retreated, becoming muted, easier to stand. Better. Schofield looked up to see the doctor standing over her his hand reaching down. She took it and rose unsteadily to her feet. Her ears popped and she went to pull off the sunglasses it had slipped onto her nose. No, don't take them off, he said quickly, or we'll some more retching and screaming. She'd been screaming. They're mine. We can borrow them. You're very lucky not everyone gets to wear the sonic sunglasses. They're special, just like me. Special? How? They're adjusting your vision, he told her, dimming things down so the world isn't quite so glary. And while they're at it, they're made-checking the sonic cone around you, filtering out the noise. You can thank me later. Sonic sunglasses, she repeated, trying to make sense of the words. Oh, I love a bit of sonic, he said, grinning. Sonic glasses, sonic screwdriver. He patted his pockets and his smile faltered. Looks like I'll have to get another one of those. Never mind. He looked around himself, bending back at her hips to gaze up at the trees. He even had a sonic lipstick once. It wasn't really my shade. Gave it to a friend. You have friends? He glanced back at her, the grin wider than ever. Someone's feeling better. Where are we? The doctor jabbed his finger at her. And that's why I like you, PC Schofield. Straight to the point. Just like me. He stepped forward, gesticulating as he explained, like a teacher. We've jumped a groove. We're in the invisible. And what's that? Fairyland.
0: That's great. I'll thank you very much to Keith um, for that brilliant reading. The as I say the doctor and PC Schofield find themselves in the invisible, uh, and it's not long before they're noticed by some boggarts, um which are from a particularly vicious type of fairy, aren't they?
1: They are. They're, they're awful, and they, they absolutely hound the Doctor and PC Scorpio, don't they? They send them on a, a rip-roaring trip across this amazing landscape that's full of um, talking trees and bright, vivid colours and you know, sort of pungent smells. or It's a sweet smell, isn't it, they, Yeah, they're uh, filled with that It's a really exciting chase at this point in the book, isn't
0: it? Yeah, definitely. And they end up in a river at one point, which is described as being like really thick, sweet honey. Yeah. Um, but it's populated by these fish that are more deadly than piranhas, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a, a beautiful place, but but kind of too vivid for, for humans yeah. to handle, um, and and pretty inimical to life as well. Uh, so, uh, meanwhile, Bill, uh, the doctor, before he disappeared, the doctor had sent Bill um, and the kids to look for Sammy in the woods. But in daylight, when I thought it'd be a bit safer, didn't they?
2: Yes. Yeah, good move. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah. So they, they matched match the leaf to the tree, didn't they? And then they they actually find Sammy, and this is a really poignant moment. They find the kids find their mum and huddled at the bottom of a tree, don't they? Yeah. Um, and she so she's huddled there, so they're fantastically pleased to see her. But then of course she opens her eyes, and they're blazing with these otherworldly lights and the great torch lights and. Um, related to the Boggett the and the Shining Man. So that's quite terrifying. And, and, of course, Sammy is extremely confused, isn't she? And find um, it very difficult to understand what's going on.
0: Yeah. Um, so they, they, they get home. Um, and, again, another thing that, that I think as a kid I would have found quite scary is that idea of somebody coming back uh, changed or different. Um, it's like sort of uh, equator mass and things, isn't it, when the astronauts come back. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, or anything like that, like kind of people, you know, possession, and um, it's uh, yeah. There's some scary stuff there. They've got their mum back, but she's she's not the same, and she's like you say, she's incoherent, and her eyes are shining. Uh, that-
1: Bill comes into her own a bit here, doesn't she? And the way she's um, kind of is with the kids, and she's really good with Sammy, isn't she? And she's just trying to help. Hillary to keep calm and to do what's best for Sammy and uh, keep a cool head about it all. So Bill gets a moment to shine there, doesn't she?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, again, having split up, she's um, she, she's really good there. Um, I think that idea about the eyes changing as well um, I thought was uh, was interesting as a, as a sort of signifier. Um, it reminded oh. me of a couple of Seventh Doctor stories like um, The Curse of Fenric when... Um, uh, the characters are taken over by Fenric, and they sort of turn round, and they've got the, the the kind of glowing eyes. Um, yeah. And in survival as well, okay. when the um, when the, the the planet of the cheetah people okay. has had too much influence on them, they get those kind of yellowy cat eyes.
1: Yeah, they are quite symbolic, aren't they? Eyes. I mean, was it the ancient Greeks who said the eyes are the
0: windows into the soul? Yeah. So they're quite important in our culture, aren't they? We put quite a lot of emphasis on, you know, the
2: way eyes look, and we when you look somebody in the eyes, it has special meaning. So yeah. to have that
1: subverted with these these dreadfully sharp bright lights is is really quite horrifying, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it's it's a good good visual uh, visual thing. Yeah. Um, so the, they realise that um, from what Sammy is saying is that she's trying to uh, she's talking as if she is the shiny man who's trapped and, and lost and things so they I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit here actually but they um, they go off to led by Sammy to to where the shiny man's trapped
1: they do, back to the house don't they yeah um... All the time, of course, while the doctor and uh, PC Schofield are being hounded by these terrible bogeys back in the
2: invisible.
0: Yeah, and then and they, they eventually find uh, Velma, which is Charlotte's van, which has aged and rusted um, over the, the time because time moves differently there, doesn't it? It's um, you know, a short time in the real world is a long time in in the fairy world. It, yeah.
2: it, it's quite poignant because
1: we know what's happened to Harold Martin. And that his life is effectively over. So, immediately as the reader, you're worried: has this happened to Charlotte, this young um, girl? Is, 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 has she aged alongside the van? And is that it for her? So, that's quite a worrying moment
2: for the reader, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because she was a much more sympathetic character than, than Harold as well. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and was, was yeah. very young. That, um, yeah, she, now she's been aged, she's an old woman. Um, mm. And she's been forced to dance for the fairies, isn't she?
1: horrible isn't it it's a sort of torturous dance that they're making her do and she can't stop because her body's just aging and wearing out it's
0: Yeah, um, and it's something that's in kind of other fairy kind of myths isn't it like um, the uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr Norrell um, which was a book I absolutely loved and then they did the adaptation um, was it uh-huh. last, last year I think on the BBC um, and it was a similar sort of thing in there where the the um, the lady—I can't remember the character's name—but at night she was being transported to the fairylands and was having to dance and dance and dance. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's—it's it's got its roots in other sort of fairy fairy myth and folklore, hasn't it? This idea that they yeah. would just make you dance, you know, beyond your uh, beyond your capacity to, to, to keep going. Yeah, um, yeah, for their pleasure, I guess. Which is the you know the other horrible
2: thing about it that they're making you. Do this terrible thing because they like to watch. You know,
0: that's a yeah. horrible leg to it, isn't it? That's uh, um, The really sort of creepy imagery I thought from this as well was the um, that the music for the dance is being provided by this creature um, who's described as having the body of a child uh, and the legs of a daddy long legs. Uh, playing, oh, yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> playing a harp, yeah, which was just really macabre, isn't it? It's. Uh... <laughs>
1: that the writer
0: didn't transport the kids there because I yeah. suppose that would have been an option if you've got one of the kids, the kids has point of view characters, you could have transported them to the Invisible. I'm kind of glad he didn't do that because
1: that's, all, for a child's book, that's actually taken it quite, you know, into quite a difficult area, isn't it? Quite a scary area, really. Yeah. But it's nice to have the adult characters there and there's some nice um, dialogue between uh, The Twelfth Doctor and PC Schofield there, isn't there? They have this sort of prickly sort of relationship at first, which warms uh, up, um, and then uh, Jane Schofield, isn't it? She yeah. um, has some real good character moments uh, before they
2: leave.
0: Yeah, the because um, yeah, she, she struggles to accept it a little bit first, but then they're yeah, kind of running for their lives and, and everything that they see. Um, she, she kind of has to get on board with, with where they are and what's happening. Uh, and just a, kind of a real practicality comes out, doesn't it? With a I uh, I liked it in the beginning. With and um, she says to the doctor, "I don't believe in fairies," and he more or less says, "Well, okay, but they believe in you, so yeah. <laughs> here we are." <laughs> yeah. Um, so they they managed to get Velma started um, and kind of run the van into the the fairy sort of camp where. Yeah um charlotte's dancing and they uh i think they run over the harpist um they do. So the music yeah. stops um and then the doctor strikes a deal with the fairies because they, they are looking for and it's mentioned a couple of times before in the book they're looking for the lost what they call the lost aren't they they are
2: a
1: member of their group or, or party or tribe who's been um taken away as a, a prisoner, I guess, and held in in our world, in the visible, with iron chains, which again is a thing that um, goes through in folklore, doesn't it, that fairies can't bear iron. Yeah. I think Terry Pratchett used that idea quite a bit, didn't he, as well, and many other writers, that iron is um, dangerous for the fair folk.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we find that the um, that one of the Boggarts has been bound for centuries ago by a fairy finder, which I guess was like the um, the witch finder general, um, yeah. bound in iron and then buried under a rowan tree, because uh, the rowan trees can repel them as well. Um, and this is the tree that Sammy used to climb in as a little girl, so they sort of forged this uh, psychic link um, unknowingly to both the bogger and Sammy. Um, yeah. But now that the tree's been dug up and disturbed, that's what's um, unleashed The Shining Man um, and it's sort of um, psychic projections from him that have, have created the, the, the Shining Man sightings around uh, the area. Uh, so the doctor strikes a bargain where he says, if you send me home, I will find this boggart for you. Yeah. Um, and again, this is it's, it's something you see in fairy tales, isn't it, when somebody makes a deal or makes a wish and it's taken absolutely literally. <laughs> Um, is only the Doctor is sent back to the real world um, and P.C. Schofield and Charlotte aren't so they're left behind
1: What I liked in that moment where we saw just P.C. Schofield and um, Charlotte left behind was because Charlotte of course was an old woman by this time and P.C. Schofield is trying to help her so she gives her the sonic shades that have been protecting Schofield from Mm. the painful vividness of the environment she gives them to Charlotte and then of course she's exposed and um, PC Scopel has got this horrible dilemma then of wanting to protect a member of the public, you know her sworn duty as a police officer, as a British police officer is which I believe they take quite seriously to um, protect and to serve us as members of the public. Um, uh, But against her own wish that you know she's got her own family she wants to survive this and get home and she's got that just that nice pull against her duty against what she needs, feels she needs to do. And it ties in quite nicely with the theme of the duty of care that, of course, was um, quite prominent in season nine, with the Doctor talking about his duty of care towards Clara. And I thought that was a really nice moment there, leaving these characters with this um, awful dilemma.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then once the Doctor's home, he realises that they've both been left behind, um, just because he's he's sort of, uh, in his own cleverness, he's, he's rushed to make the deal. Not thought carefully about his wording, um, but I can't really blame him
2: for that.
0: No, that's it. <laughs> uh, and then, but because the Boggart's still in chains, uh, and the other the other fairies can't release it because they can't go near him, he comes mm. up with a better deal, which is to say that um, the other two characters are freed from the invisible back to the visible, um, and they are restored to what they were beforehand.
2: Yeah, so of course Charlotte
1: gets all her years back and arrives back as a, a young woman, yeah. presumably with her, with her
0: van again, um, as it was. Uh, no, I don't think... I think they mention that later on and say that um, they will never see the van again. Um, okay, but, so the van's left behind. Yeah. yeah, it got pretty wrecked, didn't it, because they had a chase in it and one of the boggarts was sort of trying to rip the roof off and then um, yeah. they destroyed the harp with it and things. Uh, yeah. yeah. So they originally arrived back old, Um which the Doctor sort of, you know, shouts, this isn't right. So the uh, the boggart that had been trapped takes over Sammy one last time and uh, and restores them to youth. Um, but not Harold Marta.
1: No, Harold Marta
2: doesn't get a second shot, to
0: say. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was quite harsh. Um, yeah. Having established that they've got the ability to, to do this. I mean, he wasn't a nice character, <laughs> but... um yeah. He still, uh, he still had a wife and stuff, didn't he? Still. Uh... <laughs>
1: I think that's the thing with Doctor Who. People they, we have a happy ending, but it's not without some costs. Always, yeah. is it? You know, it's like everybody. I think there's one episode where everybody lives, wasn't there? And the Doctor dances back in. Who knows when? Season one of the new series.
2: Yeah. Um, and there's
1: like fantastic. Everybody lives. Rose, I think the line there, and he's really pleased. But that probably is the whole. T- the only time in the whole of dunno, maybe the whole of Doctor Who or certainly in the news the news show, where actually we there isn't a cost to what's going
0: on, but you know, yeah. you do have to pay that price in,
1: in blood often the doctor, doesn't he? Saves who so he can, but that's not everybody.
0: No, that's true. Um, yeah, and this time it's, it's poor Harold that uh, that pays the price.
1: Yeah. yeah. I guess that um I can imagine, I can. I always imagine that you can do while well, somebody's still alive, you can save them, so they the project could reverse the processes going on with Charlotte because she's still alive. But I imagine um, Harold was so close to death, wasn't he? he Was so old that maybe he'd died. And I, I don't think that you can bring someone back from
2: beyond yeah. death
1: in the same way, even in fiction. There's always, you know, a, a huge cost to that, isn't
0: there? Yeah, yeah, they have to be alive. Yeah, it is heavily implied that um, he's sort of well in his nineties physically by the time the. The ambulance takes him away, yeah. um, and I guess just the mental strain as well of uh, of what he's been through, um, yeah. yeah. To suddenly be back in the real world uh, would do, would take its toll as well.
2: Yeah,
0: And I thought the ending was nice because it's um, it's a lot like um, uh, a, a lot of classic Doctor Who, where the Doctor just sneaks away. He doesn't want all this sort of goodbyes and explanations yeah. and um, and gratitude and that sometimes. He and Bill just sneak back to the TARDIS without without sort of really uh, telling anybody where they're going. Yeah,
1: that's very Doctor Who, isn't it? Leaving everybody kind of wondering a little bit who they are and where
0: they've gone. Yeah, something I associate with the second Doctor particularly of just uh, just that sneaking away a little bit and then uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a it was a nice nod that um, yeah. I suppose he's got to be particularly careful because this is this is contemporary Earth where he is living as well, not that far away.
2: Yeah,
0: um, but the the closing scene is that Charlotte's followed him and, and filmed the TARDIS dematerializing, hasn't she? Yes, yeah,
2: yes.
0: Yeah. So there's always the uh, the possibility of a follow up. There, of, yeah. So can imagine
1: that on YouTube somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, having to deal with that a little bit. Yeah, but uh, yeah, overall, like you say, um, I thought it was a, a terrific book, really imaginative, um, and that last third in the Invisible. Just kind of uh, really gets going, doesn't
2: it?
1: It does. It really pings along once you get there, and, and it's very exciting. Well, the first part of the book's got um, a, a, you know a good couple of really exciting chapters, but it's, it's that second bit, isn't it, where they're in the invisible and everything's there's everything to play for. Where it gets really vivid and exciting. I really enjoyed the book, um, and I, I mean I haven't universally enjoyed all the Doctor Who um, books of the new Who. Mm. I have to say, but this one in particular I thought was really well written and a really interesting storyline, so I'd certainly
2: read more of Kevin Scott's work.
0: Yeah, this, uh, I think it's his first Doctor Who novel, I think I'm right in saying, but uh, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully we'll see him back, because uh, yeah, I think they do right. reuse a few writers, you know, that, um, that uh, I know um, sort of, uh, you know, Justin Richards and Mike Tucker and uh, Jonathan Morris, uh, they, they've all written a few, haven't they, so... Uh,
2: yeah,
1: I haven't dip, dipped in too much to the New food novelisations. I think I was comparing them a little bit to the... Do you remember the New Adventures that yeah. were out? Um, that, those books were really deep, and I really, really enjoyed those um, Those books. I think these novelisations are more aimed at young adult market, so they're going to be slightly different, I think,
0: uh, yeah. by
2: nature, the, the way they're marketed.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, but some, some really strong stories... Uh... In the run, definitely. Um, mm. There's one called the Eyeless, which is a tenth Doctor one, which really mm-hmm. stands out for me. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I think it might be Lance Parking, but I'll check that and I'll um, I'll correct it in the show notes if I'm wrong. Um, but mm-hmm. that one always stood out as a re- as a really good one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, recommend that. Anything else to add about the book? Um,
1: no, just so uh, I really enjoyed it, and I'd be really happy to read more. And Kevin Scott.
0: I would recommend the uh, say this this run that he's co-writing at the moment, the Lost Dimension, um, which is a sort of a short run multi-doctor story, um, yeah. predominantly the four modern doctors, with little cameos from the from the classic doctors as well. We can find you on Twitter as at Kate Seventeen.
1: That's right, that's me. Um, Kate yeah. It's been great talking to you, Mark. Really happy to chat up this afternoon, and thanks for inviting me.
0: No problem at all. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll um, definitely get you back on sometime. That'd be great. Um, and I say I'll put links in the show notes to um, Temporal Logbook Two and Time Shadows Two, um, where once those are out, we can um, uh, find your work. That'd be lovely. Thank you. And thanks for listening at home. Join me next week on the Tratton Podcast. My guest will be Simon Ibison who writes the Dad, Daughter, Doctor blog uh, about watching the new series with his young daughter. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. Bye.